Hi, I'm Dylan from awesome San Francisco. The Sound of Young America is an awesome independent production, awesomely supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to make an awesome donation to support the show, visit the awesome website, MaximumFun.org, and click on Awesome. I mean, donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio sweetheart, on the airways, it's the sound of It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests on the program are some of the Emmy-winning writers of The Late Show with David Letterman. Bill Sheft is the show's head monologue writer. He's also a former columnist for Sports Illustrated and a novelist whose books include The Ringer. And brothers Eric and Justin Stangle are the show's co-head writers. Uh, The writers of The Letterman Show are also behind the new book collection of Late Show Fun Facts, which is appropriately titled Late Show Fun Facts. Here's Letterman sharing a few fun facts on the show. The uh, original creators of Superman sold their rights to the character in 1938 for 130 bucks. Wow, 130 Mm. bucks. Mm. Boy, I bet they're sorry. Yeah, I bet they're kicking themselves now. now, Yep, absolutely. An average American teenager sends 1,742 text messages each month. Nah, it's about 25% right. of the world's construction cranes are currently in Dubai. Dubai. Yeah, that yeah. whole area. Is well, it's just booming. Yeah, it's booming. Oh, they got all the money. They got all the money for dang sake. That's where. It well, went. that's where the money that's went. Right went. there, we're yeah. just. All went to Dubai. Uh, McDonald's unsuccessfully spent 90 million dollars trying to market a dessert item called the Chicken McNougat. <laughs> I know. Leonardo da Vinci, and then uh, there was a genius. There's oh. a guy who ought to have a book. Leonardo da Vinci created the first electric blanket uh, by using some cotton wool and an eel. Uh, Due to global climate change, by 2015, most hookers will be named Stormy. Guys, welcome to the Sound of Young America. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Jesse. So let's start with this question. Um, Is this the job that you imagined yourself having as a kid or as a teenager? Yes, uh, appearing on The Sound of Young America is the job (laughs) we have all talked about growing up. And we were talking about it just today. Once It was, you know... That pretty much uh, the dream has happened. Once this uh, interview is over, I am going to full retirement. I will be fishing on a lake if you need me. And I will be preparing the bait. <laughs> so we're ready to go. Uh, but, uh, no, I don't think that, uh, well, uh, you know, I grew up in the, uh, in the 1850s. And uh, <laughs> there was, you know, maybe get a job at the Dumont Network was a, was a goal. But... Uh, no, I never, uh, I never thought I'd uh, wind up on this show, and I've been here 17 years. Eric and I uh, grew up watching uh, the old Dick Van Dyke show, and we saw uh, Dick Van Dyke would go into the city, and he'd work on a variety show, and he'd sit in a room and write jokes. And it, we, it sort of freaked us out that that, that that could be a real job. And we always thought, wow, like that guy, that character on TV had it all figured out. And then as we, you know, as we got a little older and we discovered uh, Late Night with David Letterman, we, you know, we thought, wow, like these guys, these guys know what they're doing. And our goal actually was to uh, to one day end up here. 
Bill, you said you were born in the 1850s. I know Eric and Justin that the two of you are are in your late 30s, which means that you're young enough to have been young and impressionable when David Letterman hit television. Do you remember those those early years of uh, of late night? Absolutely. I mean, we were we were the uh, we would stay up late. We would set our VCRs and we would take as much time as we could watching what happened with Dave on late night with David Letterman, and then we would go into school and tell all our friends about it. We at first we were we felt like we had discovered it, and here was a guy who had a completely different sensibility than anything that we had ever seen before, and it was it was silly and it was funny and it was smart and and wow, this is like this little nugget of gold that's that's on in the middle of the night, and we we just could not get enough of it. Uh, I was a stand-up comic. Uh, when the show came on the air, and it was uh, a sensation, it, and it was the type of show. If you were a, a comic, you were you were dying to get on because um, you know the Tonight Show was was a great goal, but you know that was pretty much the province of Kelly Monteith and Kipadata and and other people that I can't remember, and neither should you. But um, <laughs> so my goal first was to try and get on the show as a comic, and I I uh, I couldn't. So then I uh, tried to. Submit. Uh, I submitted to the show as a writer five times and didn't get hired. And on the sixth time, um, well, I had some photos. And uh, <laughs> here I am. What was different about the show? Well, the, the best line that I heard about the old show, and, and I don't know who to attribute this to, so let's just say it's mine, was that <laughs> the, the, old, the show on NBC celebrated failure. And... Um, you know, those were, you know, when things got screwed up, that got big laughs. You know, Dave used people on the staff, and um, there was a, a, just a seat-of-the-pants quality to it. And sure, there there are similarities and elements that were in other talk shows, but, and I don't know who said this, so I'm going to say Bill Sheff did, uh, it was an anti-talk show, in that failure was hilarious, and it was not, you don't stop the show and edit it out. You just sort of ride ride along with it and move on to the next thing and keep talking about the bizarre thing that somebody said or dropped or the guest who showed up drunk or and wanted to fight the host. You know, you just – that that sort of created the atmosphere that anything can happen. I mean, people don't – I don't think people tune into this show necessarily to watch the show. It's not like, oh, I want to see what that guest – I don't want to see this piece of comedy. They, they tune in – because they're fans of Dave. You know, when uh, John McCain didn't show up uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, and that all played out on the air, uh, where we, we found him in Katie Couric's studio a few blocks down the street from us, and that happened on the air, and we kept it. The audience was discovering it along with Dave, and, you know, everybody was laughing. It's all, right. you're all yeah, pretty Nobody much... wrote that. Nobody said, you know what would be great if we got right. McCain to bail on the show and then, you know, set up a camera where we showed him getting made up in front of Katie Couric. Man, would that be great. So I don't know, but you heard it here first. This doesn't smell right. You know, this just doesn't smell right because this is not the way a tested hero behaves. So somebody's putting something in his Metamucil. <laughs> and now we've just been told, here, take a look. Do we have it on the thing? This, just this, is, this is going live. This area is right there. He was imbued with a Doesn't seem to be racing oh. to the airport, does he? This, this just gets oh, uglier and uglier. I'm, too, I'm right? feeling yeah. bad for the man to have uh, participated in, in this. I mean, you, first of all, the road to the White House runs right through me. That always happens. Always happens. 
Always funny. Right. It's like, like we caught him getting a manicure or something. <laughs> Uh, we're told now that uh, the senator has concluded his interview with Katie Couric, and he's now uh, on Rachel Ray's show making veal piccata. <laughs> <laughs> Eric and Justin, um, as I understand it, the two of you uh, started your comedy writing career uh, submitting jokes to uh, Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live? That's, that's correct. That's right. We were um, given the opportunity to fax in jokes to Norm, and we did it for about eight months. Um, every week that there was a show, we would stay up all night the night before on like a Thursday night. And yeah, they we went to the jokes Friday morning. So we would gather all the papers from the week, write jokes, send them in, and we never heard anything for months and months and months and months. And one time we thought, okay, let's just call to make sure that they're getting the facts. So, I don't care if they like the jokes. Right. I just want to make sure that the transmission is received. <laughs> so either they're getting them and they don't think the jokes are funny, or we're sending it to the wrong fax machine. Right. <laughs> and, and we're hoping, since it's been eight months of nothing, we're sending it to the wrong fax machine. So we called Norm's assistant, uh, and we said, uh, hey, you know, we're the Stengel brothers. We've been sending in monologue jokes. Oh, yeah, we've been getting them. We've been getting them. And uh, uh, we were like, oh, fantastic. So in our heads, we're thinking uh, our jokes are, are horrible. <laughs> uh, perfect. This is, this is all good. This is just what we want to hear. Yeah. And uh, so we kind of uh, we hung up, and we, we wrote one more page of jokes. Uh, and uh, that Saturday was the first time we got a joke on the air. <laughs> and it was, oh, my God, that's, fa that's fantastic. So I guess we sort of reminded them that we were there. Do you remember the joke? It was... Yeah, it was um, Thursday was take your daughter to work day, or as Aaron Spelling calls it, Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a perfect norm joke. Yeah. yeah. And that's Eric great. and I made uh, $50 that we split. Yeah. And uh, which when you're living in New York City, uh, buys you a pack of cigarettes and a can of soda. And that's right. all we got. And we uh, we went to the uh, we actually this is the first professional check we had received. So we went to the uh, copy store and we blew it up. <laughs> so it's like one of those like big <laughs> like, Ed McMahon checks. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we kept it somewhere. Eric, Justin, how did you end up writing for uh, The Late Show? Uh, we were working on a uh, on a show uh, at the USA Network. We were hired by these these producers. They found us and they owned the rights to four 1970s martial arts films, and uh, they wanted to edit them down into these little like five minute episodes. They called the show Chop Suey TV, and they mm -hmm. wanted us to write the rewrite these little bits into uh, anything. Could have been a commercial. It could have been anything that we wanted. And Eric and I did the voices, and it aired. USA Network decided to fill their afternoons by showing repeats of The People's Court and Love Connection. And for some reason, they had live bits taking place on a set that looked like a New York City diner. And they would get pretty much uh, a bunch of unemployed New Yorkers and seat them in this diner. And they would go up to them uh, kind of as wraparounds and go up and say, so what did you think of Judge Wapner's decision? Which was pretty much Judge Wapner's decision from 12 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it just, the whole concept made no sense, and they wanted our show to air within this show, and so we were doing all this stuff for the USA Network, and uh, we had a manager at the time, and uh, and our manager, we, we were also doing a lot of remotes. We ended up shooting remotes with a comedian named uh, Greg Fitzsimmons, and... Um, Ed, 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 Ed Lover. Ed, yeah, Ed Lover. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wait, of Ed Lover and Dr. Dre, the hosts of Yo! MTV Rap? Yeah. 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 There was not enough money in the USA budget for Dr. Dre. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was, it was a lot like, of, yeah. There was a lot of you can get the saying, captain. <laughs> I get the feeling that maybe they started with Dr. Dre, like Dr. Dre, Dr. Dre, then went down to right. MTV Raps, Dr. Dre, right. yeah. and then settled for Ed Lover. So they go to the third person on the list, sure. Yeah. yeah. And it was pretty much Ed Lover saying, you know, uh, I've never been to a laundromat. Let's go see what it's like. That was that was the whole piece. And it was <laughs> like, I'm going to spend a day pretending to be pregnant. Basically, it's everything that Tyra Banks does now on her show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we did all these remotes, and uh, and, we, and we were working all these little. They kept plugging us in on different things. The USA Network. The other interesting thing: a lot of people, like in Hollywood, they work in uh, as big time studios, and you know we have our theater here, and, and everything's all professional. And some people, you know, work at Thirty Rock. This was in the ballroom at like the Roosevelt Hotel, the hotel, oh, yeah. hotel uh, Pennsylvania. Hotel Pennsylvania. At, sure. And, USA uh, Network basically would, for years was just like a phone and a folding chair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as we're, as, you know, we would show up, we'd go up in the elevator to go. To to work and it would be us and like four German tourists, you know, on their way to their room, <laughs> and and so we're in this ballroom and uh, and and uh, all these different shows would come in and occupy the ballroom and so you know we were there and and our manager heard that Letterman uh, that they were looking for writers so you know on a Thursday night we stayed up and we, we wrote jokes all night for Norm I think it was Wednesday night we we stayed up all night we wrote a Letterman packet and we made a compilation of our best remotes and we sent it in and pretty much two days later we got hired it was all way too simple which even though we've been here 12 years it makes me feel like they've made a mistake in any day any day they're coming for our keys right eric and, eric and justin what was it what was it like for you when you first started on the show it was scary as hell i yeah. mean uh we were assigned to work on remote shootings every friday with dave and that was the scariest thing ever because you would go uh, into the shooting day with a concept and there, there would be this crew there. There was our director, Jerry Foley, and his camera people and his sound people. And there's a whole crew that you, the writer, are responsible for. And Dave's right there, and he's looking at you, and you're supposed to tell him what to say that's funny. And I'm just thinking to myself, what can I possibly tell him that's funny? He should be telling me. Um, so that was really scary. And, you know, of, of course, you end up, getting through it and you end up working through the whole process with everybody and you, and you edit the pieces together and, and there's no better feeling than when it comes together and it airs and it gets laughs and then you have to go into it again the next Friday and it's just as scary. <laughs> Do you remember any of the first remotes you worked on either for good or for ill? Um, I don't remember the first. I mean, we, for years we, uh, we did all the remotes. We went to Japan uh, with Biff Henderson and with Dave's mom and uh, Eric did most of the Super Bowl and World Series pieces and the Yankee Spring Training pieces, uh, Biff Henderson's America, uh, you know, different pieces like that. Is that pretty much – I can't think of anything else. You know, in the city, <laughs> the things that we shot with Dave w would be where um, we would go around in a van and Dave would have a microphone. We'd be we'd all be hidden in this van and Rupert G., the deli owner, would have an earpiece and he'd be on the streets bothering people and Dave would be telling him what to say and – I'm telling you, sitting in that van and listening to what was coming out of Dave's mouth, some of the funniest things you could ever possibly imagine. You oh. just felt like you were one of the luckiest people in the whole world. Hi, ladies. Ladies. My name's Jeffrey. My name is Jeffrey. Or you can call me Joffrey. But you you can me, call me Joffrey. Joffrey. What do you want? What would you want? I would like the tomato and mozzarella special sandwich, please. I'll tell you what, I'm going to have to go across the street and get it there. I'll tell you what, I'm going to have to go across the street to get it there. Because they, they know how to make a sandwich. <laughs> 
because they know how to make a sandwich. We, we don't know what the hell we're we, doing we here. We don't know what the hell we're doing here. <laughs> we're just playing grab ass in the kitchen We're today. just playing grab ass in the oh, kitchen I today. Yeah. Okay, girls, okay, everybody girls, thirsty? Here's everybody the vodka. thirsty? Here's the vodka. Uh, <laughs> would you like some fresh ground pepper? Would you like some fresh ground pepper? Let me, let me put a little fresh ground pepper on that bread. Let me bread put a little bread. fresh ground pepper on no, the bread. would you stop it? I'm serious. <laughs> What's the problem? What's the problem? It's a condiment. See, this is a condiment. You're aggravating the hell out of me. I, I don't want pepper on my bread, okay? I said no. Where would you well, like well, the pepper? Where, where would you like the pepper? I don't want any right now. All right, how about your friend? How about your friend? I want you to get out of my face. I want another waiter. What, wait, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Who a are you, Martha Stewart? Who are you, Martha Stewart? <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? It was like at the old show when, uh, during rehearsal, when he would uh, test the phone, he would make these prank calls, which you would hear during rehearsal, and they were just great. I remember one day he called the, the Butterball Turkey Hotline and said that he had a two-headed turkey and <laughs> what 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 were they going to do you know did they have any advice for and and the guy was playing along and then the guy asked Dave a question that he wasn't um ready for uh which was uh well uh, what are you doing right now and Dave you just said he took a split second and said well I'm I'm just getting ready to go into town <laughs> and, <laughs> It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Eric and Justin Stengel, head writers of The Late Show with David Letterman and monologue writer Bill Sheft. There's a new book of Late Show fun facts in stores now. We'll have more with Letterman's writers when we return in just a minute. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. The Sound of Young America is live Friday the 23rd in San Francisco. Catch interviews with punk rock legend Jello Biafra and California State Assembly member and stand-up comedian Tom Amiano, plus comedy from Sean Cullen and Casper Hauser, and a live musical performance from Zion Eye. It's all Friday the 23rd at Cobb's Comedy Club in North Beach. Buy your tickets now. Visit Cobb'sComedyClub.com or follow the ticket link from the live page on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are the David Letterman writers Eric and Justin Stengel and monologue writer Bill Sheft. Thank you. For you. What? That's for you. Thank you. You know, God bless you. I love you people already. You know? I'm, thank you very much. I'm so happy you're here, and uh, I can feel it coming right up here on stage. The, yeah, and uh, here's what happened last night: horrible audience. And I hate talking about people when they're not here, but weren't they awful, Paul? I'm telling you. Halfway during the show, here's how bad the audience was. Halfway during the show, I crash landed a plane and sped away on a motorcycle. <laughs> That's awful. I couldn't. Bill, you're the head monologue writer. Tell I, me I was. I, I, I did that for a long time. Steve Young has that job now, and, and I'm just back to, to, to being a writer and, and grateful for it. Uh, the, that was uh, 
that was a good gig for a while. I had that for about eleven years. Tell me, tell me a little bit about what you do uh, when you're writing the monologue for a program. What's your day like? Well, uh, you know, I um, I uh, come to, <laughs> and uh, then I have uh, coffee and six Vicodin, <laughs> and then. And in the shower, and uh, no, I. Uh, you just what you do is um, you don't have to. After you've done this for for a while, you don't have to read a million papers. You're just, especially now with the internet, it, it, um, you're aware of what the big stories are, and um, you're just trying to do as many takes on the big stories as you can because the thing about a monologue is you're, you're not in the education business and you don't have that much time so you really have to talk about things that people know about and Dave told me when I started the show I said to him can you give me any advice this is the only thing he ever told me he said I don't care how good the joke is it can't be longer than four lines because if it's longer than four lines it won't fit on a cue card and if it doesn't fit on a cue card I can't do it and so that's it's just this shorthand. What are the particular um, opportunities and challenges of, of writing specifically for this show? What kinds of jokes can you write or, or can you not write that are, are different from w if you were writing the monologue for, uh, you know, for Jay Leno or, or for Conan O'Brien or, or any other, you know, topical monologist? Well, look, I think that anybody that does a monologue wants to do the joke that nobody else is doing. Uh, but I just feel like that is more the case with Dave. The, and I think that, that that permeates through the whole show. He, he wants to, he doesn't want to do, he doesn't want people to hear or see anything that they might hear or see on, on, on another show. Uh, specifically with, uh, with Dave, you try and get the word stevedore in a joke as much as possible, <laughs> specifically. You're learning a lot today about yeah. us, aren't you? Who knew? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, a lot of people don't. Are there jokes that you think of that just don't work for this context? Oh, I could have, you know, like a four-hour HBO special of jokes that don't work. I, You know, I, I think that any... Uh, well, they're lying if they tell you otherwise, but you know, the thing about monologue writing is that you, you know, your business basically is writing a lot of jokes that don't work and trying to, to find the jokes that work in there. You know, look, if you write 50 jokes a day, like, for instance, on a good day, uh, he, he'll, uh, Dave, he'll take 10 and he'll do five. He'll put 10 on cards to consider and he'll do five. And like I have to tell you, not every day is a good day. But the thing is, is that the 40 that he didn't take, you know, you're still – I mean, it just – you just have to make – and this is with every other aspect of the show. We just make mounds and mounds of coleslaw. and uh, Not and, literally. It, not literally. <laughs> Everybody calm well, down. Not, not literally either. But uh, – and, you know, we try and sift the, the best stuff out of that. It's just a volume business. Yeah. Cold, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Don't kid yourselves. It's cold. Here's how cold it is. So cold today, people were throwing shoes at Al Gore. Whoa. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, people are always coming up to me on the street, and they say, Regis, uh, do, you, uh, do you have... 
Do you have any uh, cold weather tips? Here's a cold weather tip. This thing is surefire. You take your, before you leave the house in the morning, take your boxer shorts, put them in the microwave. <laughs> Honest to God, it works great. Really? It's, a, it's a little tick, a tick, a little trip, a little, uh, <laughs> little tip that I learned from Rosie O'Donnell. Ah! And it works great. Good. <laughs> boxer shorts. So cold here in New York, there's a new uh, Broadway musical, Annie Get Your Chapstick. That's yeah. Right. It's uh, so cold today in New York City. You know the guy in the divorce case who wants his kidney back? Yeah. Are you aware of this? A guy and his wife uh, get married, and she says, uh, I, I'm going to need a kidney. And he says, fine. He gives her a kidney. Now they get divorced, and he wants it back. The guy wants his kidney back. Well, it was so cold today, he also wants his sweater back. That's how cold it is. No, wait a minute. Eric and Justin, I want to ask you a similar question to what I started in with Bill there, which is, what is your day like? What do you do? Well, uh, we have about seven writers upstairs who work on uh, the comedy for the show. That means the little extras, commercial parodies, things that we do, uh, the little live comedy bits and the top ten. And everybody comes in and goes to a meeting and throws around ideas based on the uh, the topics of the day. Um, people will help shape scripts, help shape uh, some pitches for Justin and me, and once we get those pitches, we'll check off maybe eight or nine comedy pieces videotaped and live for these guys to start working on, and they'll start. It, it's a mad dash to get to the show. We tape our shows at 4.30 now. And so these guys come up with ideas at 9, they'll have it scripted up and in production by 11, and we rehearse at 2 o'clock. And so the goal really is to get these things, you know, these 30-second commercial parodies voiced and edited by 3 o'clock. So if there are changes that need to be made, they can get back into the edit room. We happen to have uh, some very talented editors here and uh, and ADs that can get these things in and get these things out. It really is like a factory and all at the same time, where uh, we've picked that day's top ten, and the writers are writing on the top, writing the top ten all day. And uh, uh, Eric and I put the list together, send it down to Dave. Dave will add some of his own jokes. He'll cut jokes. He'll rewrite jokes. Uh, and we're working the top ten right uh, to, to the to when the show starts. We're in Dave's dressing room about an hour before the show, and we're showing him all the pieces that we've prepared. And Dave, you know, I like this. I don't like this. Can we make this change? And we're making changes right up. Uh, to showtime, and some, and then the, then the show goes on, and um, the writers are watching in the conference room on the writers' floor. Eric and I are on the floor with Dave, and we're trying to keep uh, anything that comes up organically. We're trying to keep that going. So if, if if someone in the audience says something to Dave or holds something up, Eric and I will try and think of other jokes or other ways to keep it going. This week, Dave it, mentioned that he wanted uh, to be considered for Hillary Clinton's Senate seat, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And so he came up with a little slogan for himself uh, that, you know, I'm Dave Letterman and uh, I'll be taking care of business. (laughs) So Justin called upstairs to the graphics department and said, "Okay, we need a a campaign button. It says Dave Letterman taking care of business and we need it now. And, And he has to be able to attach it to his jacket. So within about 10 minutes, an intern ran down, 
what looked like a political button, Dave's photo, Dave's motto underneath it, and double-sided tape on the back. During the next commercial, I ran up to the desk and I said, uh, you know how you, you know everything you just said in, the, in your motto? He said, yes. I said, here's your campaign button. And Dave looked at it, smiled. We told the director, and then you know Dave had the had the option to then take it, put it on his lapel, and you know we get the shot, and and uh, and it's something that came up during the show. Nobody, you know, thought of it ahead of time, and then of course the audience, uh, the audience will react, they'll laugh because they'll realize, oh my God, that just happened. Oh, it's like all happening in front of me. It's fabulous. Right. And in addition to all of this that they described, they're also considering. The future shows, there, there are big pieces, big prop pieces that we do that need to be prepared weeks in advance. So um, it's not only like uh, putting out a newspaper every day, but it's like putting out a newspaper, a weekly magazine, and a monthly magazine every day because you have to be that far ahead. So it's, it's uh, you know, it just can't be that day's show. It's, it's, uh, it's incredibly <laughs> intricate yeah like any show uh the late show has these uh structured and regular m- moments for jokes the monologue and uh the top 10 list and i think like like a lot of people who are who are big fans of david letterman um i uh i always look forward to some of the more surreal and bizarre moments that still populate the show um, I've been thinking a lot lately, probably too much, about a bit called How Many Spider-Mans Fit in a Jamba Juice. <laughs> right. Um, where, well, where does something as... Well, we really don't have time to deal with <laughs> what that reflects in you, <laughs> that you've been thinking about that a lot. We really don't have that much time. <laughs> it's one of those things that just gets in there and won't come out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Again... Not a good place to go. <laughs> Does not speak well of you. So what we're going to do tonight, we're going to see how many guys dressed as Spider-Man uh, we can get into a Jamba Juice, uh, juice restaurant. <laughs> now this Jamba Juice, there's one on virtually every street corner in New York City. All right. Are we ready? Let's send in a Spider-Man. There he is. Nice job. All right, there's our first Spider-Man. <clears throat> so far, nothing. Nobody cares. All right, let's try another Spider-Man. All right, two. Now, there's some discussion going on behind them, but so far... Everything's still... uh Uh-oh. A call is being made. A call is being made. Let's see what happens next. All right, send in three Spider-Men, please. Three more. Go. All right, send in the remaining nine Spider-Men. Here we go. seems to care. All right, so we're out of Spider-Man suits, is that correct? All right, send in Superman. (laughs) 
we had every costume in the city. The, one of the, I guess Spider-Man 3 had just come out, and everybody wanted a Spider-Man costume, and we were only able to get like 15. <laughs> and we wanted to fill the Jamba Juice. We wanted to just right. pack it with, with people, and we could only get 15. And we said, well, what else do you got? We got a clown. Yeah. We got two lizards and an alien and we a got Dracula. Moses. We got Moses. Moses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Send it over. That's perfect. Yeah. But the thing about that, that bit is that that uh, that piece began years before very simply as it was just like how many people can you fit into an H&R block? And it was just regular people that worked on the staff. Or it was I can't remember what the first one was. I think it was Easter Bunnies. I, I think, think it was, it was Easter Bunnies. But was it always people in costumes? Or was it originally it was just people? And when we Bef- had the – Before that – yeah and, yeah, and and the way these bits evolve, it's okay. Well, that looks good, and and how can we make it even weirder? And how can we make it even more, as Dave says, of a sociological experiment? Yeah. Right, and the hope is always that the people inside of the Jamba Juice or the H and R Block or whatever it is will first be confused, <laughs> and then be pissed off, right? And then call their attorneys. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's the goal. The goal. That's it, the goal. If you see the police arrive, we've done our job. Yeah. Yeah. So the question, uh, the question remains: Where does this come from? When the standbys of the show are things like, will it float? In which something is dropped into a tank, or throwing something off of something. Is there a meeting where uh, you know the once a week thinking of very very strange things meeting? Yes, yeah. actually, that should be going on right now, but we're recording your show. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be none of it next week. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, the writers the writers will, will all come up with ideas, and we'll try to think of stuff that seems funny and odd and weird and different, and uh, and then we'll we'll pitch it to Dave, and we'll try it. We'll sometimes rehearse it and see if it, if it actually works, if it doesn't work, and, uh, and hopefully it makes it, it makes it on the air. Were there any notable failures in that department? I don't know if we have enough time. For... <laughs> Actually, that that kind of brings up a, a funny story. Um, one of those remote days that we were that I mentioned earlier, um, Justin and I had shot something. I can't remember what the idea. It was Dave and Paul. Um, they grabbed their skateboards and run out to Fifty Third Street. And then we have these people that are Dave and Paul doubles that do all kinds of extreme sports, <laughs> and they're doing jumping and ramps and all this stuff, and and it looked it looked cool. But once we edited the piece together, there was some question as to whether or not it was funny. Was it is it just interesting to look at, or was it funny? And Justin said, "I think it's funny," and Dave said. I don't think it's funny, and I'll bet you it doesn't get a laugh. Oh, yeah. And so that's the perfect reason to put it up. So it went up that night, <laughs> and I don't think it did great, but it didn't tank. And, of course, Justin walks up to the desk, and Dave says, you owe me money. Uh, he, and he used he, to bet on the monologue, too. You bet on jokes in the monologue with me. Yeah, that's he, a bit, <laughs> uh, This makes me think of this story. At, at, at NBC... Uh, they used to uh, run the remotes on uh, air the remotes on Friday. So on Thursday, they would show them to the Thursday audience before the taping, and they would judge how the audience reacted and, and maybe make the, some tweaks, uh, and then show it on Friday. So they would like screen it for the Thursday audience. And there was uh, one that we did, which was uh, Dave cures Paul of the hiccups, and it was this montage of all the things that Dave would do to try to cure Paul of the hiccups. So Bill Wendell, the old announcer, is introducing 
the, uh, the, the, the remote to the studio audience on Thursday, and he says, uh, we have a little video we want to show you that's going to be on the future show. Let's see what happens when Dave has a toothache. <laughs> Which wasn't the thing at all, and the audience just stared <laughs> like, what's, Paul, there's something wrong with, and it just, it absolutely uh, died. <laughs> what's the greatest pleasure of working on the show? You know, I've written for a lot of people and in uh, various um, colors in the talent spectrum. And, uh, you know, Dave is a guy that uh, you aspire to. And, and you know, there aren't many people like that. And that's what's satisfying. Eric and I have been here uh, 12 years. A lot of the writers have come through here. People have been head writer for one or two years. The writers are coming here for one or two years. They'll move on, move on to sitcoms and, you know, try and get their own show. And the reason why Eric and I... Uh, have stayed here it's all because we enjoy working with dave i mean we love working with our director jerry foley the writers are great uh you know we have a great crew great staff we're very lucky to be working with the people that we're working with um but at the end of the day we like working with dave dave's a, you know he's a legend eric justin bill thank you so much for taking the time to be on the sound of young america Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very okay. much. It was a lot of fun. Eric and Justin Stangl and Bill Schefter, writers for The Late Show with David Letterman. They're also among the writers of the brand new book collection of Late Show Fun Facts, which is called Late Show Fun Facts. Thanks again, guys. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself. Interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. The show edited by Nick White, our intern, Brian Fernandez. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org where you can check out, besides just the podcast, our awesome blog, our other podcasts like Jordan, Jesse, Go, and all kinds of other cool stuff. You can also follow me on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash youngamerican. We'll see you next week on The Sound of Young America.